Welcome to the Happy Mindset, episode 125. Today's episode is called The Voiceover Artist. Today I'm joined by Tim Steer. Tim is the narrator to my new audiobook for Taking My Life Back, which is now available on all good audiobook stores, including Audible. Tim is a voiceover artist. He started he started getting into voiceover artistry through COVID, so it's been something that he's starting to pursue now that uh, the pressure has come on him to think about different things and think about how his career is going to pan out. So it was interesting to talk to Tim about how COVID actually presented a good opportunity for him to follow something that he had in his mind for years. I think he said since he was like 18 years old, he wanted to be a voiceover artist, but he kept putting it on the short finger and not actually doing it. Tim is also a sports, sports broadcaster in Yorkshire for the BBC. And on this podcast as well, we talk about how he actually went about becoming a sports broadcaster. And yeah, I just wanted to talk to Tim today, share his experience. It's a bit unconventional getting into voiceover artistry and into even sports broadcasting. So I just wanted to talk to him today and allow him to share his insights around this. So yeah, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Okay, so thanks for joining us today, Tim. Thanks, Dennis. Good to be here. Thank you. It's my pleasure, man. So my first question is, who are you and what are you doing in the world today? My name is Tim Steer, and I am a voiceover artist and also a sports broadcaster for the BBC. Yeah, so like Tim, I have Tim on the podcast because Tim has recently done my audio book, and I just wanted to share Tim's story and share how he's going about becoming a voiceover artist and how he became a sports broadcaster as well, because I think it's quite interesting. So, yeah, I guess my first question for you now is... Uh, why do you want to become? Why did you want to become a voiceover artist? How did you? How did you get to where you are today? Yeah, the main reason I want to be a voiceover artist. It's one of those where it's been a nick that I've had for years and years and years, and I've just finally decided basically to scratch it, that itch and try it out because I've always wanted to do it since I was about eighteen, along with being a sports broadcaster. But it's one of those where the path and the vision of how to become a sports broadcaster was maybe a bit more simple in the sense that you could see how you would be able to do that. But with a voiceover artist, it was a bit completely unknown. There's no course at university for how to do that, but there is on how to do sports journalism. So it's a case of, well, let's tackle the sports journalism side because that's something I still also really, really want to do and I'm passionate about. Mm. So... Becoming the voiceover artist quite recently was something that, because of what's been happening with the lockdown situation, I've not been able to work on the sports side of things because obviously all sports has been pretty much cancelled through the lockdown. So it's like, well, I've got no excuse now. Um, I'm at home. I could do voiceover stuff from home. Um, about a year or so ago, I actually bought all the equipment I needed, but never really got around to doing it because I was too busy with work. So it's like, well, that works, God. I'm at home. Why not give it a go? Why not try and, and put myself out there and, and try and become a voiceover artist? And thankfully, the first couple of months, I've seen some benefits to that. But at the same time as well, probably wouldn't have got where I've got if I didn't have the help of a voiceover coach, who is a guy called Gary Terza, who used to be continuity announcer for Channel 4. And he offers... Uh, service where you can go to one of his studios either in London or in St Albans and you can record some voiceover demos so you have something that you can send out to people to go this is what I can do and then he also helps you afterwards for a year just like anytime you need him email him sort of thing and he can offer you practical advice 
again, as I said before, there's no mm. university courses on how to do voiceover coach, uh, voiceover work. So having somebody there to guide you was, is, has been crucial for me in that regard. So it's one of those where I've been desperate to give it a go. I basically locked down and being stuck at home has <laughs> forced my hand and meant uh, I've given it a go. You know why you were drawn to, to being a voiceover artist in particular? What, do you remember when you were younger, were you drawn to, to something in particular that kind of set you up for this path? Yeah, uh, when it came to voiceover stuff, it's one of those where probably a lot of people, if they are listening and have been thinking about being a voiceover artist, one of the things they've probably heard is, oh, you've got a really nice voice. You know, you've got such a good voice. You should do broadcasting or you should do audio books or you should you know, do commercials or whatever it may be. You've got a really, really nice voice. I think, oh, well, yeah, thank you. Maybe I do. Maybe I could do something with this. I also have done a lot of amateur dramatics growing up since I was about eight years old. And, and so the idea of voice artistry and amateur dramatics kind of and sports broadcasting kind of all go hand in hand, the sense that you're performing whether it's something like a, a script for a, a corporate video or whether it's on stage being a character or whether it's sports broadcasting and you're commentating on a football match, rugby match, whatever it may be. The thing that links them all is performing because you've got to turn something into a performance and make it interesting for somebody to hear. So that element is something that I've always really, really enjoyed. So the voiceover side of things was me thinking, well, I can use my voice, which many people have said is a strength of mine, something that is ideal for something like this. Combine that with my love of performing anyway and try and earn a living from it. So it, it was one of those where a combination of factors really drew me into being a voiceover artist because using something as simple as my voice could benefit me in, in some way. So, but being... 80, 17, 80, when I decided it might be something I'd like to do. It's a really easy or a viable option at the time, but it was always something mm. I wanted to do because of my love of performing and, and broadcasting. Mm. And sports, like, were, you, were you somebody who was into sports growing up? Where did the sports broadcasting come from then? Yeah, massively into sport. Always have been uh, any kind of sport, except for golf. Any kind of sport, yeah. <laughs> really, really, really into uh, I, I was one of those kids where I had sports equipment of, of all sorts. I had a basketball hoop in my garage. I had a snooker cube because I love snooker, pool as well, football, rugby, pretty much any sport except for golf. Again, can't reiterate that enough. Really can't play golf. But apart from that, just love sports in general. So um, it was one of those where watching a lot of sport growing up and you see people like Martin Tyler, the way he commentates on football, or nowadays Mark Chapman, something like that, you think, oh, love to be able to do what they do. So that ambition to be a sports broadcaster started about 13, 14, but my love of sports has been there since I've been able to basically watch football for the first time or kick a ball or wherever it may be. That that, that love, that passion has always been there. What's the, uh, what's it? relatively straightforward to actually get into sports broadcasting once you've gotten your degree in it and like what's the opportunities actually like when you actually get on the other side of the qualifications hmm. i always find 
because I, I get asked this a lot, obviously, people that are really ambitious and want to become a sports broadcaster, sports journalist, whatever it may be. How did you get into it? How do you do it? I really wish I could say there was one hard and fast way of doing it. But sometimes it's a case of right place, right time. And I don't know that sounds awful because you can work really, really hard and, and do all kinds of different things. Sometimes you've just got to be in the right place. But what I did was uh, I did a sports journalism undergrad course at Leeds Trinity and All Saints College. Uh, it was the first time they ever had a sports journalism course. So they were sort of fighting their feet with it. We did the undergrad course. And doing that course, my love of radio, which I had anyway, doing that course and everything, actually I'd, I'd rather do radio more than the written side of sports journalism. So that's when I took a year out, saved up some money, did a postgraduate diploma in radio broadcasting, which enabled me to get my uh, broadcast journalism training council certificate, which basically means that I'm legally trained and have all the key skills that you would need to work as a radio broadcaster in like a newsroom, for example. And I enjoyed that so much that the option of a master's came up. So it's like, wow, one more year without having to think of being a proper adult and getting a job. Yeah, that's fine. Let's do, let's do a master's. Let's, let's stay on and do that. So I did that as well. And then at the end of that, Lee Trinity didn't offer a PhD in sports journalism. If they had done, I probably would have stayed on and done that as well. Uh, so I was like, well, now I'm forced with the reality of maybe I should actually face the real world and get a job. So I applied for a, um, a placement scheme at BBC Radio Leeds where you could spend eight weeks with their sports team for two days a week and you could work with them, learn what it, learn what it takes, learn the ropes of being part of the BBC Radio Leeds sports team. Applied for that with about 100 or so others, I think, that applied for it, they told me in the end. Uh, I was very fortunate to get the gig. So for two days a week, for eight weeks over the summer of 2011, I was with the Radio Leeds sports team. And again, I'm sure lots of people have been on placements like that. And at the end of it, they go, well, thank you very much. Had a great time. Bye-bye. See you later kind of thing. But fortunately for me, whilst I was doing that, an opportunity opened up where they needed freelancers now and again to do sport bulletins, to write and read their sport bulletins. And the sports editor at the time said to me, look, really enjoyed having you on the placement. Would you fancy doing some freelance shifts for us? I was like, absolutely, yeah. And again, it all goes back to doing that right place, right time. I say 99 times out of 100, I would have ended that place with nothing would have been there and that would have been the end of that. It just happened to be that there was an opportunity open. And once you get that foot in the door, which is so hard to do, goodness sake, don't let that door shut, keep that door ajar, keep it open somehow. So I stayed on, did the shifts, impressed, led to more opportunities from BBC Radio Leeds to do other aspects like rugby league, reporting, commentating, football reporting as well, uh, presenting sports shows, and then reputation got around, thankfully, that I, I did a good job and people recommended me. And so I've, I've been to different BBC radio stations as well to do similar kind of projects. So that initial foot in the door was just a very fortunate situation where I got the placement and thankfully something developed. Uh, even if it was just a freelance opportunity, but something developed at the end of it. And as I say, I've, I've hung around really for <laughs> ever since then.
Do you have any um, advice for somebody who's doing, who's doing broadcasting or wants to do broadcasting when it comes to nerves that come up when you're actually speaking in the broadcast? I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that you feel nervous in these situations sometimes. How do you handle that in the moment? Oh, Dennis, honestly, I, I can remember vividly very first time I ever did a live rugby league report. I got sent to a rugby league match, uh, which was Hunslet against Swinton in 2010. It was actually just before I started the placement. It was in 2010. Never done anything like that before. Love sport, you know, and I've done like hospital radio and bits and pieces, but never done live match reports before. And there's just that moment where the presenter of the studio goes, let's go over now to Hunslet against Swinton with Tim Steer. And then there's just that second or two of silence and you go, oh my God, I've got to speak now. I've actually got to say something here. And it, that moment, the, the first few times I had to do that, that moment still scared me. It's like, oh, it's literally just me talking to thousands of people on the radio and I've got to say something about what's happening in front of me. And suddenly your mind goes blank. You don't know where you are, who's playing, anything just all completely goes. And I think even now to a degree, even though the nerves are nowhere near how they were there, there is still that moment of when the presenter hands to you and there is just that silence or they play a jingle. And then at the end of that, you know, you've got to be on it. You've got to start speaking. You've got to sound good. You still get those nerves. And I think if you didn't get those nerves, there'd be something wrong because it's almost, and I, think I hear this from a lot of people in the industry, if you don't have those nerves just at that moment, you're being complacent and you, you really got to have those nerves because you can use them in a real positive way. Because if you just sort of go, eh, it's fine, whatever, something will slip, guaranteed something will slip. So I like to have a bit of those nerves, but it definitely wasn't like how it was in that first case in 2010. And, and that will always stick in my mind so, so vividly because it was terrifying, but pushed through it, got through it. And thankfully, did, did, did all right, did enough anyway to uh, keep getting more gigs like that. So if you get those nerves, good, just use them in a positive way. That's good. So you're actually accepting that that's normal. You're accepting. I think there's a, I think there's a power in that, actually accepting that you're going to feel nervous, especially if it's going to mean something to you as well. You're probably on the wrong path as well if it's something you've got no emotional attachment to at all. Yeah, completely. If you want, if you know it's something you love to do, you really want to do, I think that automatically generates some nerves because it's, I suppose it's like anybody taking an exam. You want to do well in the exam. So as a result of that, you feel nervous because you know that if you don't do well in that exam, something that you want to do well in, you feel disappointed at the end of it. And it's like that before you go on air, you, you really want to do well in it because you love it and you love what you do. And if it doesn't go well, you go, oh, I feel so disappointed at the end of it. So you need to accept those nerves. I, I happily accept those nerves. No one likes nerves. No one, <laughs> no one goes, oh, I really want my stomach to be flipping upside down. But you, you've got to accept it because you care about what you're doing passionately. So it's how you take those nerves and use them for your advantage. Really. Mm. So you've been in this for over 10 years, haven't you, the sports broadcasting? When did the voiceover artistry bug start coming back into you again that you felt like there was something missing? It started about 
a year, year and a half ago, where I was going through a period where the work sports broadcasting wise was drying up a bit. Uh, and that's purely because a lot of the budgets to different places, BBC, all kinds of different places, the freelancer budget in particular was starting to just dry up a little bit just because of the way the world and the way things are at the moment, it's particularly in journalism and broadcasting as well, that sadly a lot of budgets being tightened at the moment. The work was starting to dry up a little bit and I started to think, well, what could I possibly do? Just as a side hustle, maybe for the time being, just to generate a bit more income. And that's when I started thinking again about well, what about the voiceover stuff? Because I can do that from home. Nowadays as well, to get voice, you know, to get equipment, microphones, etc., that you would need to do voiceover work, it's a lot cheaper these days. It's surprisingly cheaper. And so I thought, well, it's financially viable for me to get some equipment in and be able to do it. So maybe I should give it a go. So I, I, I got some stuff in and I started doing a few online courses. Uh, there's a website called Gravy for the Brain, which is run by Hugh Edwards and a guy called Peter Dixon. Uh, who what maybe, is the Gravy for the Brain? It's uh, Hugh Edwards and a guy called Peter Dixon who run it, but it's like a voiceover training website. Oh. Uh, Peter Dixon, probably a lot of people know, is the guy does the X Factor voiceovers, oh, okay. the really big, dramatic ones. Yeah. Uh, he he has um, he owns it along with Hugh Edwards, and they have like some online courses that you can do, so you can learn the basics of voiceover work and what you need to do to become a voiceover artist. So I started doing those, and then my sport broadcasting work picked up again. So it was one of those where that got pushed to the side again because I was so busy doing other things, and then it all flooded back again when lockdown started uh, in England because then literally all my work and most people's work within the industry just completely stopped, mm. uh, particularly from a sport point of view, because there was no sport. So I had all the equipment, I'd done all the courses. But again, that bug, just that, that thinking process of, well, this could last a while. Who knows how long lockdown could last, how long the pandemic could last. I should really try something and I've got no reason not to try it now because I can just do it with my laptop with my microphone from the comfort mm -hmm. of my own home kind of thing so that's where the thought of doing more voice office work started but I also needed some professional demos because to be able to send out as like a calling card to clients this is what I can do it really helps to have a really good demo or set of demos professionally so you can show your range of what you can do because, for instance, doing a corporate video may be different than doing an audio book or doing a, a TV commercial. So if you can show that versatility and that range, that's where the demos come in handy. So that's when I went to go and see Gary to get those professionally produced. So the voiceover artistry bug really came back because of lockdown, basically. Uh, and I'm really glad that it did because you know, I, I'm enjoying doing it. It's interesting that like when when the work dried up for you there, you immediately went to opportunity mode. Was that that something that you normally do, or is it just because maybe you in the back of your mind you felt voiceover artistry, you always wanted to do it, and now was just the right time to do it? It's a really interesting question because normally I'm the complete antithesis of finding the opportunity if something goes wrong. 
if the work's dried up in previous years, I would instantly go into what have I done mode, the negative mode side of things, and sort of be, you know, not being too dramatic, but I'm not sitting in a corner rocking, but I'm also thinking, what's happened? What have I done? Why am I, why am I not getting the work? And I'm not proactively thinking of ways to get out of that situation. I'm just taking the negatives and going, well, it must be because I'm rubbish. Nobody's hiring me. Nobody's bringing me in. I don't stop and think necessarily of, well, what could I do to change it? And the lockdown situation was one of those where it was different because the reason I wasn't getting work wasn't because I couldn't do the job. It's just because literally there is no work. There is, there is nothing out there. And people that are far more experienced and far better than, what, than me at what I do are also not getting work. So the reason I'm not working is not a reflection on me. It's the world. It's the way the world is because of the pandemic. So I didn't instantly have that negative mindset switch in of, oh, I'm not getting the work because I'm rubbish. Okay. It's, well, I can't work. There's nothing I can do. Nobody's working. So what can I do? So not having that instant negative mindset meant I was able to think about other opportunities in different ways getting work because I didn't have that cloud hanging over me of, well, I'm not good at what I'm doing, that I'm not good at what I do. So it was probably the first time ever in my freelancing life where I saw the positive side of not working rather than the instant negative side of it. It's interesting because what's, what's, what you're describing there is that you just simply didn't make it personal. You just saw it as a neutral thing that happened and you were able to shift into opportunity mode very quickly then. That's interesting. Completely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That, that is, yeah, it's, it's, it's the first time I can say that I ever had that idea, that, that mindset of it wasn't, it's not me, it's nothing I've done, it's a pandemic. <laughs> Mm. There is literally no work out there for you or anybody in the sports broadcasting world. So there's no point taking it personally because you haven't done anything wrong. But use this as an opportunity. Use this to do something or, or find something else that you'd want to do. And luckily, the, the, the itch that I've been wanting to scratch is something that I can do at home anyway. It's something that I don't need to go outside and do. It's something that can be done with my laptop, my microphone, the internet, and see how we get on. So it it was a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Which you don't want to call the pandemic a blessing in disguise in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. But I suppose personally, it, it it pushed me into that direction. It pushed me into that positive mindset of, well, let's go for it. Let's give it a go. Because what's the worst that could happen? I could earn a little bit of extra cash or nothing happens, but you know, I can't say I've not tried it because I've had two, three, four months of yeah. lockdown to at least give it a shot. And yeah, the answer is right in front of you too, just in your in your house. You got the recording, equipment and everything. But before we're talking, and um, before we did this podcast, we're talking a little bit around, uh, I guess even just the technical skills to voice over artistry. Because I can remember from my translation days, there was a lot of stuff that went into it that isn't very obvious to a person who isn't in translation. Things like the register, being real right in the topic. When it comes to voiceover artistry, you're going to you speak around a wide range of topics, so you're not going to be an expert in every single topic. And sometimes you might get a topic you know nothing about. How do you handle that? And how do you get like how do you get a feel for the right tone and intonation you need to get across when you know nothing about the topic? Maybe a day before. 
yeah, this this is the biggest, well, one of the biggest tasks of being a voiceover artist is that you're absolutely right. You, you, you're presented with all kinds of things from uh, a corporate video talking about corporate speak, corporate things that you don't really know about, or it can be an explainer video, so like one of these animated things going, this, this guy's called Bob and he wants to buy a car, you know, those kind of videos. Again, they could all be about topics and things that you, don't really know about but the key to voiceover artistry is you may not know what it's about but sound like you do and make it sound appealing to whoever is going to be watching that video if it is somebody in a board meeting at a corporate facility or if it's just somebody that's on youtube and they want to know more about a specific car or a specific industry or finance or whatever it may be sound like you're enthusiastic about it and sound like you know what you're talking about and I happily confess, Dennis, that 95% of the time when I look at these scripts, I go, I've got no idea what this is about. No, not a clue at all. But the performing side of me, again, from a radio perspective, from an amateur dramatics perspective, comes out in the sense, well, how can I at least give it the intonation and give it the kind of vocal performance where it sounds interesting, it sounds like I know what I'm talking about? Because essentially that's what acting and broadcasting is, in a way. It's it's taking something, it's taking an idea or, or whatever's happening out on the pitch from a broadcasting point of view and making it sound interesting. And the only way you can do that is with your voice. Mm. Yeah, you could easily put somebody watching a football match and they can tell you what's happening, but they don't necessarily make it sound interesting if they're just saying it in a complete monotone voice all yeah. the time. If okay. somebody scores a goal and you don't have that intonation in your voice, it's not gonna sound interesting. So it's the same kind of thing with voiceover work. How do you make something more interesting just with your voice? And that's where the intonation, that's where uh, the different areas of your of your voice that you discover acting-wise, broadcasting-wise, start to come out to make something interesting. And a fine example of this is something quite recently, again, we were talking about this before we came on, but I've recently been doing a series of YouTube videos for a, a company called Finbot, who deal in, finance, stocks, dividends, that kind of thing. And I've done like a series of tutorial videos about stocks and dividends. I've done about 12 of these videos. I'm still none the wiser. Uh, don't expect me to invest or give any investment advice anytime soon, but they've been happy with what I've done because I've, I've given it a performance, uh, a bit of positivity, a bit of brightness to it that takes a subject that could be seen as being a bit dull and a bit mundane mm. and made it easier to listen to from just purely just from that performance point of view. It's not an easy thing to do. If, if you're reading something and you genuinely don't know what's on the paper and you don't understand it, it is difficult to generate enthusiasm as a result. Because if you read something, I'm sure you've read something, I'm sure your listeners have all read something in the past, you've been really interested by it and, and get into it. But if you read something you don't get or you don't understand or you don't know, mm. how do you generate that enthusiasm? That's that's the acting, that's the, the performance side of it that you've got to find within yourself to be able to do it. I suppose you get feedback from the person as well who's in that industry to put you on the right path, could you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The the, the voice of a coach I've had, Gary, has been really, really good in that sense of uh, again, because he knows I've done uh plays and amateur dramatics in the past, who said so he's found ways to help me tap into that side of things and go well you may not get it you may not understand it but just perform just perform you know treat it as a script you know if you were just reading a script 
as if you're doing a play. You know, just try and look at it from a different point of view. Don't look at it as a piece of boring corporate tech. Look at it as something that you can make your own because of your performing abilities. And there's been times where I've like, I'll give you an example actually, because normally with a lot of voiceover jobs as well, you have to audition for them. There's like a process where they'll put a job out to tender and loads of voiceover artists will go, right, I want to do that job. And what they do, kind of for your audition, uh, for your audiobook called through ACX and Amazon, mm. if you want to do an audiobook, the author puts a portion of their audiobook and audition script so that you read it, you audition, and then they'll offer you the job. So there's a lot of lot of ways, a lot of voiceover work is through that way. There's a, there's a little part of what they want you to do. You will you read that as an audition and then they give you the job off the back of it. So I've done auditions, said to Gary and gone, what do you think? And he goes, it's good, but you just need to tweak that or you just need to tweak this. And that's where someone like you is, is brilliant because if you're just on your own and you've got nothing to bounce off, you've got no sounding board, you always think you're brilliant. Go, yep, that was brilliant. That I'm gonna send that off. That is top job. But then you send it to somebody like Gary who knows what he's talking about, and he goes, "Well, just change that, and yeah, you, you, you'll be fine." And he's always been right. He's, ne he's never been wrong. He's, it's like, oh gosh, yeah, yeah. Now you say that, it's so obvious. But unless you have somebody to talk to like that, it doesn't always uh, come naturally. So do you have any advice for somebody to get out of their own head when they're in a, if they're a voiceover artist and think about the audience? Because that's what I find most challenging with writing is that when I'm writing something out, it's keeping the person I'm writing to in mind sometimes can be a challenge. Have you any advice for somebody who's a voiceover artist in that regard? Yeah, I, I suppose it goes back to the, the point we were talking about earlier where if you're a voiceover artist and you're faced with a situation where, again, you're talking about stocks or dividends and it's not your thing, it's you have no interest in that at all. Think about the person watching that YouTube video who is maybe wanting to learn about stocks, about dividends, so they can maybe look to possibly invest. Think of it from their point of view of, well, they're probably like you. They have absolutely no idea what this is about. And if presented in the wrong way, they're going to be bored and just go uh, and click off. So you've got to think from their point of view of, well, how can I make this interesting for them to watch? For you reading it, you're probably just as bored reading it going, this is so dull. Mm. So you already have the right mindset because you're probably thinking along the same lines of the people that are watching the video, that they're probably going to be bored, senseless, talking about stocks and dividends. So you've just got to try and make it more interesting more lively more positive brighten your voice and, and almost talk to them like you'd want them to talk to you about it mm. if, if if you're sat and you're in like a meeting and it's like a whiteboard presentation i'm sure plenty of people have gone through so many of these where you sat absolutely bored out your tricks and somebody just reading off a whiteboard yeah. it's a boring situation and if that's the way it's going to be on a voiceover you're going to be bored so Talk about that subject the way you want it to be taught to you. If you think, well, if he spoke like that, I'd find it's quite interesting. So do that, do that kind of performance. Do you do any Brett work or anything for your voiceover work? Like, because what I found from um, speaking on a podcast, it's being able to actually breathe a bit more when I'm speaking makes it a lot 
better to be on the podcast rather than what I tend to find is when I'm not paying attention to my breath, I speed up quite a lot. I'm in my own head a lot. And you're just like, I don't naturally enjoy the experience. So do you any, do you do any kind of breath work or anything as a voiceover artist? Yeah, I have done. Yeah. And again, for me, I'm, I'm quite lucky in the sense of because I've done a lot of uh, acting and musical theatre in the past as well, that hmm. I've had a lot of sessions, a lot of workshops where I've done stuff with breathing anyway. So I've kind of already had that ingrained to me from a young age anyway. But even now, it's still crucial, not just breaths, but vocal warm ups in general, because if you don't look after your voice and you don't breathe properly, as you say, it's not an enjoyable experience doing what you're doing and it can also damage your, your vocal cords so you, you need to be able to look after them in a certain way uh, and also if you could hear some of the vocal warm-ups and breathing exercises that I do before I start my voiceover work you think I was absolutely insane because I'm just here going and all kinds of strange noises try to warm up my voice and I get my diaphragm working and stuff like that the people next door must, must just wonder what on earth I'm, I'm doing or who I'm murdering in here because some of the sounds are not pleasant but Absolutely, breathing exercise in your diaphragm as well, because one thing with voiceovers is they don't like, unless it calls for it, they don't like a lot of breath, a lot of breathy sounds. It, sometimes it works. It can be with like an audiobook where it needs that dramatic breath or that, that sometimes a breathiness if you're whispering, but a lot mm. of the time they don't like, <clears throat> you know, it's not like a donkey's <laughs> reading your book. They don't yeah. want that. So you, you've got to learn to how to hold your breath a bit more and, and have a bit more air in your lungs and your diaphragm so you can read longer with, and speak longer without having to <clears throat> every you know, couple of seconds. But I, I do find that very important, I must admit, and it, it's crucial that you, you warm up properly uh, in that sense, otherwise it, it can it can be even more tiring. You're right, it can be tiring if you don't warm up properly because it's like, it's like a runner that doesn't warm up properly and then they pull something because mm. they, they can do the right stretches and the right breathing exercise so it, it's kind of a similar similar kind of thing really i mean it's the closest we're probably going to be able to call ourselves athletes dennis but it's it's, it's our version of, of warming up like an athlete well, I suppose. yeah it does it does sound like you're training a muscle though there like what you're doing it's, it's only recently i came across nose breathing more and, and mouth breathing i wasn't aware of these concepts up until a few months ago and uh i was even reading a book called the oxygen advantage recently it's all about like if you if you nose breathe more, it, mm. it creates there's more carbon dioxide in your body to release. I think the oxygen. It's it's the same thing as like high altitude kind of training for an athlete anyway, and that's a very simple, oh. subtle shift. And it's like a lot of us actually are mouth breathing when we're asleep. That's why you've like dry mouth in the morning when you wake up. It's like uh, because you've been breathing through your mouth a lot. I wasn't aware of that, and that affects your energy levels and stuff and that's such a small simple subtle thing um so yeah like even even the work you're doing there that can be a, be a big difference yeah i, I must admit I'm, i i must be a mouth breather because i definitely wake up with, <laughs> with a dry mouth yeah. in the morning but uh yeah I, I, I suppose i've never really tapped into it no, never like that. There might be something i'd look into actually yeah i always assume my body my mouth i breathe i breathe it normally like and i thought well, apparently it's a it's a is something that has affected us as a species for a long time that we're breathing through our mouth a lot more than we need to be or we should be so can, uh... well i have to say dennis by the sounds of it you you know you're breathing well you're doing the breathing <laughs> thing really good there mate it's so i will well, drastically change what you're doing but <laughs> that's funny that a lot of stuff came came to my awareness because i was having like jaw problems there for a while 
and uh, still have them to a bit. And it was one, that's one of the things I'm trying out. And the other thing this year was that I wanted to like slow down the way I speak in the, in the podcast to have a bit more impact. And this is the stuff I'm starting to learn about as a result of making that decision maybe a few months ago. Uh, just shows the power of making a decision, what you can actually become more aware of and conscious of, I think. But when it comes back as well to the voiceover artistry, what, what kind of clicked with me as well was when you were like, you get something, you're like, I don't know, your first immediate reaction is like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with this. That's my immediate reaction too as a programmer when I'm given like a problem to solve and I'm like, what the hell am I supposed to do here? But I know that I've got fundamental principles in my mind that I can use. I've got tools I know I can use. What would be some of the key tools as a performer that you always keep in mind that you know you've got to, to do the job? I think the key, a couple of the key things that I always bear in mind are who's going to be listening to this or watching this if it's a video, you know, whatever. Who's going to be listening? Who's going to be watching? What kind of age range are we looking at? What kind of person are we going to be looking at? Like if it's going to be, uh, say, commercial for a cleaning product, chances are it's going to be instantly get in your mind, don't you, who that person is going to be watching it, you know, rightly or wrongly that you instantly get in your mind who could well be the one that's viewing it. So how do I appeal to them watching mm. it? It's like the difference between if you're broadcasting on Radio 1 and if you're broadcasting on Radio 4. Two different approaches because you've got two different audiences. You have somebody on Radio 1 shouting at you about the latest Adele track and on Radio 4 you've got somebody talking to you in a different style about economics or whatever it may be. So you instantly know a kind of a person that you want to aim it at and then you can give your vocal performance off the back of that so like if i've got scripts that's about let's go back to the example stocks finances dividends finance anything like that and it's a beginner's course to such a thing it's not necessarily going to be an industry expert that's watching it it could be anybody watching it so how do i make it interesting to anybody that's going to be watching that who may not know about it and then i picture them in my mind and then deliver the performance based on that keep it light keep it interesting keep it bright keep it in, in a way inject a bit of humor at times or a little bit of sarcasm into it because uh, again they're probably to keep them interested to keep them on board so whatever the situation is and whatever the potential script is whatever the potential video is think about who you're performing to who you want to get the message across to and adjust yourself in that way like with your audiobook then you're not going to want somebody being loud and bombastic about it it's it's a yeah. self it's a self-help guide in a way it's mm. it's, it's your story coming across so you've got to think right well the person's going to be probably sat in their chair maybe in the bath who knows that listening on their headphones so they're going to want a certain kind of read they're going to want a gentle read they're going to want mm. a bit of humor in there they're going to want you know all these little bits and pieces that so you have to think about the situation really about who you're delivering that performance to picture them in mind and then adjust accordingly yeah, that's good it's the register i think in translation that's where we keep the audience in mind and even we're talking about beginners there keep the jargon to a minimum if it's a beginner if it's somebody more higher level yeah you can include more of the jargon if you want mm. And it's funny because, like, yeah, you you did an audition for my audiobook. I picked, I chose yours. And one of the things, like, I didn't even know consciously, but when I was listening to the stuff, 
what I was actually looking for was that somebody that wouldn't be dull and boring and somebody who's also sincere in their approach. So I wasn't looking for somebody high energy either. They had to kind of suit as well, like my kind of natural personality. Because originally I was going to do the audiobook myself. And then I realized how hard it was actually going to do that. It was like, it's going to take me two years probably to get to some way decent level to do this. Because I wanted to, because it's a personal story, I wanted to do it myself. But then I realized it was, what was difficult was like the timing, even the pronunciation, trying to get across the energy in an honest way. So that was even difficult for me to do as a voiceover artist, even though I wrote the book, trying to deliver it with the right energy, the right intention was actually really difficult. So in the end, I said to just hire a professional and it'll be out this year at least as well. So no, I'm very happy I did that though. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, I suppose from that point of view, I was, I was quite fortunate that, you know, for a couple of reasons. One, because I've done amateur dramatics before, so I've, I've kind of got a bit of experience of taking you know, a script and thinking about what the person is trying to get across and the message trying to get across and portraying them. So I've, I've done that a few times, obviously, so that kind of idea helped. But also reading your audition script, when I was reading it, I, obviously I felt like part of this is me in lots of ways. You know, I, I can identify with, with you and the messages that you were trying to get across. And doing the whole book, I was very much the same throughout the whole book. It's like a lot of this is how I feel or how I felt about life. Obviously, I've not gone through any kinds of the the psychosis experiences that, that you have obviously Dennis but there were still elements that I could pick out and go well I've had that self-doubt at times or I've had that moment of should I invest in myself more and elements like that so I suppose that helped the performance a bit because again mm. I could picture myself in that situation as well so if that sincerity that you're talking about I suppose that would have helped me get that across because I'm reading it thinking well no, that's, that's me well that's that's what i picked up on too when i'd be listening to it it's funny because you don't really think you can pick up on these things but whenever somebody's reading it and i know they don't they can't relate to it it'll come across in a very flat and dull or it, there'll be a level of non-engagement there on an emotional level that i can sense and so i'll just pass over because i'm like this person doesn't get what the story's about but when i listened to your one i was like yeah you get what this is about even with the drawings as well i'm going to interview um Davey, yeah, the illustrator, he'll be on the podcast soon enough too. But even him too, I know that he gets a sense of what I'm trying to get across. It mightn't be exactly it all the time, but there's a general sense that you can understand it and you can translate that into imagery that fits it then as well. So it's uh, it's interesting stuff because I never really felt that, that that works that way. I guess the more I read into the unconscious and even gut feelings and stuff like that, it mm-hmm. helps to make sense of that, that like why why you would get something in a gut level that you don't get immediately on a brain level. And then when you look into that more, you're like the gut is connected to the brain on a biological level. There are actually neurons and stuff firing there in your stomach and stuff. So it, it, like it's, it's amazing that when you start looking into this stuff, it starts to explain these things that you would think don't make any logical, rational sense. Mm. Um, I suppose that's where the saying comes from, isn't it? Trust your gut. Because yeah. you hear that, like, well, go with your gut instinct. So how do you feel? And you think, well, why? What, what, what does that even mean? But as, as you say, it's, it's, kind of, it's all connected in, in some strange way. And, and sometimes you just, just know. You don't understand why. Yeah. But you just know that it's, it's, it's the right call, the right decision, whatever it may be. Yeah, you don't have to know why. You just have to kind of go with it and then learn from it and adapt from it. Because 
sometimes the lessons are hard to take, but they're the lessons you're supposed to learn kind of thing. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes if you just follow that gut instinct, like you say, it may fall flat on its backside, but mm. you learn from it and you pick up on those lessons and you go, well, that didn't work. I know why move on and, and just try and learn from that lesson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Actually, how, how are you finding, I suppose you learned the business skills from freelancing in, in broadcasting with it. You actually setting yourself up with the mindset of a business, knowing what your worth is and stuff. Because I've done a little bit of freelancing and I always found that the challenging part of knowing your value, knowing your worth, not underselling yourself. Have you learned some of that already from the broadcasting to make the voiceover artistry a bit easier on the business side or how has that evolved for you? Yeah, I had a little bit of that from the broadcasting side. Uh, I, I suppose maybe not as much in the sense of knowing your worth necessarily, because if you get uh, a day shift working at a BBC local radio station, that's how much you're paid. They say, well, that's that's how much you get. You're getting it kind of thing. Mm. You can't really negotiate, negotiate that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's kind of that's your that's a day rate, so take it or leave it kind of thing. And if you're doing a match reporting for another station, again, they say, well, we'll pay you that. And you either say yes or no, and you don't get the gig kind of thing. So mm. that kind of side maybe is not, but I suppose what I did learn from the broadcasting side to a degree is having to sell yourself in a way because you're competing with a lot of other freelancers to do, I mean, there'll be thousands of people out there that want to do sports broadcasting, sports commentating, whatever it may be. So how do I make myself stand out a bit I look just that a little bit more just to get that edge over people and even though i'm still not great at selling myself i like my work to speak for what i do it's like well if you listen to me commentate on a football match hopefully you think well he's good enough to do another match for us you know later down the line or wherever it may be so that that helps but with the voiceover kind of thing that this has been the first time really where i've had to go completely from the ground because at least with sports broadcasting, I've got a degree in sports journalism. I did a placement with Radio Lead. You know, I learned on the job things. But with voiceover stuff, you literally got nothing. You've got, uh, you've got no degree. You've got no nothing. You, you are starting a business from the ground up. So that has been difficult at times. And I'm still learning as I go. It's like, well, how could I promote myself better? How could I get myself out there to more people? What do I need to do? It's a lot more murkier waters than in regards to to freelance broadcasting because you literally got you're starting with a microphone and a laptop and very little else and you mm. have to start a business up. So you get elements from the broadcasting side of things, but I'm still I'm still learning every day as to how I can try and, and make this business of mine grow and, and become something more and something bigger yeah that is challenging but i think your approach is pretty solid too like you're letting the work speak for itself and if it's good as well people want more of it then you can charge higher rates over time as well it's just i guess being in yeah. a position where you're really skilled at something as well to begin with and uh yeah rate rates is a big thing particularly with voiceover work because you can literally go on a website like we talked about earlier about like fiverr or mm. five squid where you're literally doing a voiceover five pounds now if you told a professional voiceover artist that you were doing a 500 word voice voiceover for five pounds they'd probably slap you in the face what 
know, what on earth are you doing? You know, because for 500 words for a video that's going on YouTube, you could probably get hundreds of pounds rather than just five pounds. But to start off with and to get yourself out there and to get a portfolio of work as well, sometimes, sadly, you've got to do jobs for five pounds, build up a portfolio and then go, right, well, I've got all of this that I've done. I can show that to people and go, this is what I've done for said company, that company, that company. And then you start to think, right, well, because I've done all of that, what am I actually worth? Mm. I've got experience now and I've got stuff to show for it. How much could I actually charge now for being a voiceover artist? And that's when you start thinking more about those professional rates, for what you can charge for voiceover stuff. But only being a couple of months into it, I still don't think I'm ready to try and push those kind of pro rates because people could easily turn around and go, well, you've only been doing it for two months. Why should I pay you 400 pounds or whatever it may be? So it's the rates thing, I think, is, is a real bone of contention in the voiceover world because for a lot of people, particularly employers, they don't necessarily understand what it takes to do a voiceover. They're, well, you're just reading words off a page. I could yeah. do that. Why should I pay you 400 pounds to read that off a page it's like well it's you're not paying just for that you're paying for the performance you're paying for my equipment i'm self-employed you know you're paying for my laptop you're paying for my microphone you're paying for my the roof over my head you, you know all these kind of things because if you were to hire a voiceover artist to do a commercial you might have to hire a studio in the center of london and get them in there to record it but this way you're hiring somebody that has all the gear in their house and so you, you're cutting out those costs. So you're paying for that, that person's equipment. So it, it's really difficult to get across to people why somebody just reading words on the page deserves mm. more than £10 sometimes. And you don't win that fight a lot of the time. You just have to accept it. But that's where more years of experience come in. And that's when you can start to challenge that a little bit more. Yeah, I think there's, there's also an element of working, I guess, when you get to better level and better stages, you get to choose who you work with a bit more. And if you can work with people who are skilled in their domain, they'll appreciate that something that looks simple is probably, you know, oftentimes it's hard to make something look simple. There's been years of work that went into that. I think somebody who's gone through that process will appreciate that in somebody else and they can see that in somebody else, the skill level that's there on a more, I guess, invisible level to somebody who isn't within that field but um, yeah i suppose it's like that in lots of different industries as well you you, mm. you will have come across people in in language programming where you go what on earth are you doing you know you can tell you've not got the experience but then you come across somebody else that goes wow they've nailed that absolutely straight away that's why they deserve you know the big bucks that's why they deserve more money and and hopefully people can get that with voiceover work that they'll hear somebody reading a paragraph and go oh that's dull and then they hear someone else read it and go wow that was really entertaining or wow that was really really good and start to see well that's the difference between somebody if you pay them five pounds and somebody if you pay them 200 pounds whatever it may be you could apply to, to all different kinds of work but yeah even sports it, as i well. suppose it's more challenging yeah it's definitely more challenging to get that message across and get people out of the mindset of I'm just reading some words off a piece of paper. Anybody can do that. I know. Yeah, <laughs> it's a 
it's an infuriating mindset to come up against. It's like, why don't you just read it yourself then while you're coming to me? But uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you're so good at it, mate. Crack on. You give it a try. Because that's what I, that's how I realized how how difficult uh, doing an audio book would be. Because I did the first two chapters myself, and I was like, Jesus Christ, it's going to take me ages to get this right. So I just going to pay somebody else to to do it. Like, because I was kind of thinking. Well, some people said to me, "You're already doing your podcast, so why don't you do the audio book as well?" Like, but so that's why I gave it a go initially. But even podcasting and audio book, the voiceover narration, it's a completely different skill set as well. Like there's a lot of stuff in voiceover narration that I don't do in podcasting. So it's only when you actually throw your hand that then you actually do have a, because book meant a lot to me. I wanted to do it justice. I was like, I don't want to throw any garbage out there either. So it's, uh, that's when you discover how much actually goes into these things. Oh yeah. Yeah. Being able to get across the idea of value and what you're worth in industries like voiceover work, radio broadcasting is a lot more difficult when it's, industries like that where people think well i could do that if you know what i mean if it's like mm. somebody like you know you that's doing language programming computer programming a lot of people go i can't do that fair play you deserve all the money in the world but when it's something like radio broadcasting or voiceover artistry where people go well i could do that i could sit in front of a microphone and present a program or read a piece of text out and do a voice so i could do that so when it's industries like that when anybody thinks they can do it that makes it hard for you to go, no, there's a reason why I'm worth this kind of money. There's a reason why I deserve more, why I'm classed as quote unquote professional, because yes, anybody can do it, but it doesn't mean anybody can do it well. Hmm. And that's the mindset that employers and people out there who are thinking of bringing in a voiceover artist or, or whatever it may be, have got to get into that mindset of look, yes, anybody can read, anybody can go on radio and try and present a program but it doesn't mean that all of them can do it well and do it really well to a, a degree where you think well they deserve what they're getting mm -hmm. so it's a lot more difficult in this line of work to try and convince people of that yeah i get you well this is something you enjoy doing and, and you'll 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 get there you'll get there with it man. but yeah that's yeah, well, that, uh, yeah Want to say something? Yeah, a couple of months in, and uh, yeah, I'm absolutely loving it. I'm, I'm so glad I've, I've made the, the push to try and, and and do something with it now, and uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to try and keep going, keep pushing on, and, and hopefully get some uh, some more work and make it more into a, a full time thing. Absolutely, it's uh, I'm so I'm just glad I scratched the itch after 12 long years of thinking about, well, probably more than that, 16 years probably of first getting that idea when I was 18 and then yeah. actually trying to do something with it. Well, yeah, I'm glad you did it, man. You, you've done my audio book down there, so I'm happy with that. Yes, thank and, you so uh, much for that. Thank you. <laughs> that was my pleasure. My pleasure working with you. Uh, how would people find you online if they wanted to work with you? Yeah, I've got a few different avenues you can go down. Uh, you can email me if you want to email me direct. Uh, it's timsteervo at gmail.com. Uh, just to be more confusing, steer is S-T-W-E-R-E. -E. Um, I'm also on Facebook as well. My Facebook page for my work is timsteervo. Again, you can find me on there too. I'm on Twitter, same thing again, timsteervo. Uh, if you want to get in touch, whatever the project may be, no matter how big or small, 
getting into the selling jargon, no matter how big or small, uh, get in touch. Obviously, it'd be, it'd be great to, to work with somebody, absolutely. Perfect. Yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes as well to your, your Facebook page if people want to click on that. Yeah, thanks, uh, thanks for sharing the practicalities of how you became a voiceover artist today and for doing my book as well, Tim. Very grateful for that. And yeah, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks very much, Dennis. Absolutely loved it. Cool. So until next time, have fun and enjoy the process.